Good morning, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's good to see you on your throne, ruling over all. And your word, your word calls us to pray for those who rule over us. And so we pray for our country. We're very, very thankful for the freedoms that we have in our country, like the freedom to worship you openly and the sacrifices of so many that we could have that. And thank you for all those who serve, who protect our freedoms. Thank you. And yet we also confess our sins as your church and the sins of our nation that we have forgotten you and gone astray. And we plead for your mercy and grace. We do pray in, in our elections that as your people vote that that we would vote for those who would allow for the greatest freedom of the advance of the gospel in our country. I pray that as we've gathered together today and, and as we open up your word, that Holy Spirit, you would fall fresh on us, that, that there would be revival in your church, there'd be a spiritual awakening in our land, because our brokenness won't be solved on Tuesday, but can be solved by you. So Lord, shake us, and may we leave here and go out and share with others what we've learned today. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, our scripture reading this morning is from 1 Peter. <clears throat> if you're new, we believe the Bible is God's word and we love to open it up and read it together. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men, and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. If you haven't noticed, we're taking a pause from walking through Genesis, and we're doing a message today. Uh, it's a hot topic called Loving Our Neighbor in a Red and Blue World loving our neighbor in a red and blue world, because what we want is you go and vote on Tuesday that you would love our neighbors in a red and blue world. And then what we really want is when you wake up on Wednesday, because when you wake up on Wednesday, you know what? One half the people in our country are going to be so happy they're going to be celebrating, right? And then half the people what? Are going to be mad and angry. And who does Jesus call us to love? Who? Everyone. Everyone. And it's not easy to love people, is it? And it's really not easy to love people that we might disagree with politically. And isn't that why we're here? Because we need Jesus, right? <laughs> 
We need him, don't we? We need Jesus to love our neighbors in a red and blue world because it's really, really hard. And, and so that's what we're going to spend time today learning how to do. And here's the point for the message today. It's rather long, but we'll walk through it so that you can understand it. It's that God established both the civil government and the church. And he gave them both a purpose and a power. So one more time, where we're going today is we're going to unpack that God established both the civil government and the church. They're both gifts from God. And he gave them both a purpose and a power. Now, before we get there, let me just give you a little bit on 1 Peter. 1 Peter was written by, guess who? Peter, the apostle. It was written in about 60 to 68 AD, sometime in that time frame, and it was written to the church, and the church was marvelous. The world had never seen such a thing. The church was made of Jews and Gentiles together in one body. The world had never seen that before. It was new, and yet the church was a minority in the Roman Empire, and it was greatly persecuted. And so, you ever feel like we're a minority? That's why we're reading this passage. Peter was encouraging them not to give up not to give up, and to carry out their mission as a persecuted minority to preach the gospel. To preach the gospel in word and deed. Okay, so let's begin to unpack this a little bit. See this? Did God establish the civil government? Did you know that? And you might say, well, Smiley, why do you keep saying the civil government? This is really important because there's many kinds of government, isn't there? There is, first of all, there is self-government. And isn't that the most important of all government? Isn't it self-government? The more self-government we have, the less what? External government we need. So the most important government is self-government. And then what comes next, there is family government. Did you know there's parents in a home? That's God's structure, his structure in the home. There's, there's, there's family government, and then there's church government. Did you know that we're a Presbyterian church? Presbyter means elder. That means we have elders who provide the government of our church. There's government in the church, self-government, family government, church government, and then there's civil government. And, and when there's civil government, there's local, there's state, there's national. Almost in our day, as soon as you say civil government, people think immediately of the national government, right? And... By the way, we hear a lot, right, that we're a democracy. Did you know that's not true? What form of government do we have? We have a, thank you, we have a constitutional republic. Did you know that? We have a constitution. Our founding fathers believed that a government that was too big would be incredibly dangerous. And so the purpose of the constitution was to limit the size of the government, especially the federal government. Did you know that? So, let's look at, when, when someone becomes president, and we're going to elect someone on Tuesday, right? Notice the oath the president takes. I do solemnly swear that I will faithfully execute the office of president of the United States and will, to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. So it would seem to me when we go to select a president, that we would want to select the person we think most likely to keep their oath, right? To what? To protect, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. 
Now, um, I believe that a constitutional republic is a very poor form of government. It's only better than what? Than anything else, right? It's, it's a poor form. It's just better than all the other alternatives that, that are out there in, in our world today. But what I want us to understand is when did God establish the civil government? When did he do that? Now, don't embarrass me after the service, okay? I don't forget this. God established the civil government after the flood. I'm going to show you when civil government was started and why it was started after the flood. We've been walking through Genesis this year, right? And we've learned that it all began with creation. And in the beginning, God made everything, and it was all good, right? And then what happened? After creation came, the fall, and the fall wrecked everything. And so from the fall to the flood, there was no civil government. How do you think it went? Someone said, not good. Not well. Let, let me show you what it was like. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, Then the Lord God saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. You ever hear today where people say, what, trust your heart? But what did the Bible say was true of the hearts of people before the flood? It says that God saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. When there was no civil government, do you know what characterized life on earth? There was a hostility toward God, a contempt for God, and then there was violence, and then there was immorality. Does that sound familiar? So, God was sorry that he had made man, and so God decided he was going to start all over. And so there was a flood, and in the flood, we see the gospel, don't we? We see both God's justice and we see God's grace, don't we? We see God's justice and that sin was punished. All the people on earth were destroyed who didn't acknowledge God, and yet we see God's grace in that Noah and his family were saved. So Noah and his family get off the ark, and let me ask you, do you think man's heart had changed? So, so listen to what the Bible says. This is after the flood. Noah and the people and the animals get off the ark. Noah offers up a sacrifice. And in Genesis 8, verse 21, <clears throat> the Lord smelled the soothing aroma, and the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man, for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. Did the flood change man's heart? Did it? I mean, are you a parent? You had your sweet little children, right? And you said, listen, no kids ever had parents like ours. And then what happens? Your kid, what, lies to you or steals? And you say, where did that come from? And maybe you say, what, from mom <laughs> or from dad? But where did it come from? It came from within, right? For the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth, and I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. If you think the world is bad today, you have no idea how bad it was before the flood. So what would God do with human nature to keep the world from becoming as violent and as immoral as it was before the flood? He established the civil government. Notice this in Genesis 9, verse, starting in verse 5, Surely I will require your lifeblood from every beast I will require it, and from every man. 
From every man's brother, I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God, he made man. God said human life is sacred. Every human life, no matter what color, no matter what ethnicity someone is, every human being is made in the image of God. And if anyone would ever dare to take the life of any other human being, that person would be put to death, not by revenge, but by the civil government. God established the civil government, listen carefully, to restrain human nature. The purpose of the civil government that God established is to restrain human nature, and the power given to the civil government, not given to all of us, but the power given to the civil government is the power of life and death, that the Bible calls the sword. So, one more time, what is the purpose of civil government? It's what? To restrain human nature. Let's try it again. What's the purpose? Let's try that one more time. What's the purpose? It's getting better. Okay, so we're still not there. And then the power, now listen carefully so you can help me here, and the power God gave to us is the sword. So what power has God entrusted to the civil authorities? What? The sword. Let's say that again. What power? It's really important you know that God established the civil government. The purpose is to restrain human nature. The power given is the sword, which is the power of life and death. Let me show you how this runs throughout the scriptures in Romans 13. Starting in verse 1, every person, that would include you and me, is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. Well, you know, smile, if we had a decent government, I would submit to it. Do you know who was Caesar then? His name was Nero. You know what he was doing with Christians? He was dipping them in pitch and burning them to light his parties. But Paul is teaching us there's something worse than a bad government. You know what it is? It's no government at all. Because God gave us a government to restrain human nature with the sword. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not of cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. How often do you look at our civil government and believe it's a minister of God for your benefit? Three times we're going to see it. Minister of God, minister of God, servant of God for your good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. What does that mean? It means you're driving on I-95. You look in your rearview mirror and you see a blue light. You look at your speedometer. It says 70 miles an hour. You feel what? No fear. Right. Because you're not doing something wrong. Listen, you see a blue light? You look at your speedometer, it says 85. You say what? Uh-oh. I'm in trouble, right? Is the difference the blue light? The difference is you, isn't it? Therefore... 
It is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of you, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them, tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. And that takes us back to 1 Peter, where we started, where we read, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution. We, as Christian people, recognize that civil government is God's gift to us, that God has given the civil government a purpose to remedy human nature and a power to bring that about, the power of the sword of life and death. Whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. So, we have police and they have guns because they're there to what? Restrain human nature. And uh, we have, they protect us from one another, right? And then we have armed forces and, and they have guns and they protect us from others, right? That's why we have them. Um, James Madison uh, James Madison, one of our founding fathers, said, if men were angels, no government would be necessary. <laughs> it's true, isn't it? If men were angels, there'd be no need for government. But what have we learned in 6,000 years of history? We've learned what? We are not angels, and we need civil government to protect us from one another and to protect us from those who would do us harm. So, so far... We've looked at the civil government, right? We've learned that the civil government comes from God. Civil government has a purpose, and that purpose is to restrain human nature. And then the, he's given them a power, which is the sword. Very good. You're, you're tracking with me. Now we're going to change. We're going to change from the civil government to another gift that God has given to us is the church, that God has established the church. When was the church birthed? Hmm? Pentecost, thank you. Beth had it right at Pentecost. Now, we had God's people in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit fell upon the church and a new people came into a being that the world had never seen, Jew and Gentile in one body. The church was birthed at Pentecost. And that's what we read about in verse 9. But you, the church, are a chosen race. It's not speaking about our country, speaking about the church. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. We're his body. We're his people. All right? Now listen carefully. So that, uh, this is why his church exists, so that you may proclaim his excellencies, the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God, you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The purpose of the church is to remedy human nature. All that the government can do is restrain human nature. The church exists to remedy human nature, to transform human nature. So what power is powerful enough to change human nature? It is the gospel. 
The gospel is the power of God to transform human nature and to remedy human nature. That's why he says we're here to proclaim God's excellencies, not the excellencies of the blue party or the red party. It's the excellencies of Christ who can remedy human nature. Oh, I've often heard it said that if you offered... If you offer the church political power or spiritual power, the church will always choose political power. Jesus has given us something far more powerful than the civil government, far more power than the sword. He's given us the gospel. And what I pray for and long for is a gospel-confident church who believes that God has entrusted to us the most powerful weapon in our world, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me show you what a gospel-confident person looks like. The Apostle Paul couldn't wait to get to Rome. Rome's armies and Rome's buildings, and Paul believed he was armed with something more powerful than the Roman government, and he said, Bring it on. Listen to this. This is so good. Paul in Romans 1.15 said, So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. How many Christians do you know now who say, Man, I want to go to Washington, D.C. And I want to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what was it that gave him such confidence? Listen to what he says. For I am not ashamed of the gospel... For it is the power of God. See the word power there in Greek? It's dunamis. It's the, guess what? The dynamite of God. How many of us believe that God's given us dynamite? The power of God for salvation. The power of God to do what no civil government on earth can do to remedy human nature and actually solve the problems that our nation faces that governments can't do because the government can't change hearts, but the gospel can it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, uh, to blue people and to red people too, right? Um, let me see if I can illustrate this for you. Um, the civil government and the church. Let's take one of the hot issues of our time is, is racism, right? So let me ask you, what can the civil do about racism? What can the civil government do about racism? What can they do? They can outlaw discrimination. And, and we should ask for that, right, and plead for that, right? And the civil government can also enforce the laws the same. They can enforce the laws the same on every people group, right? And we should ask for that, right? That's what the civil government can do. But can the civil government take people who don't like each other and make them love each other? Can they? No, but the gospel can the gospel is the power of God for salvation. When people believe the gospel, they realize they're not saved because of the color of their skin or their people group. They're saved through Christ. That makes racism become unthinkable. Listen, the gospel can make discrimination illegal, but only the gospel can make it unthinkable. And isn't that what we want? How about abortion? Uh, what can the government do about abortion? I mean, the government could make it illegal, and, 
And, and, and would I like that? Sure, that would be nice. But don't you think if it's illegal that women and men are still going to find a way to get an abortion, don't you? Do you think you're going to force a mother to keep her child when she doesn't want to? Do you? Now, I, I'm not against it being illegal, but I want to go way beyond there. Listen, the government can make it illegal, but the gospel can make it unthinkable. Isn't that what we really want? Don't we really want moms and dads to know that a child is a human being made in the image of God and to take that life would be unthinkable, not just illegal? <laughs> so, listen, to love our neighbor in a red and blue world, we need to understand that God has established both the civil government and the church. They're both important. The civil government exists to restrain human nature by, by the sword, right? That's by force. But the church exists to remedy human nature through the power of the gospel by persuasion, not by force. And so what I want you to do this week, our, our action step for this week, is I want you to preach the gospel. I want you to preach the gospel. I want you to know that Jesus has a plan for solving the problems of all of our, of our country, healing all the brokenness. And that problem, in his plan, let me slow down. Jesus has a plan for changing our nation, and it's through you and me. It's through changing hearts. It's that we would believe the gospel ourselves and we would preach the gospel with great gospel confidence. Now, now track with me. The first step in that is we need to believe the gospel ourselves. And I want you to hear this. This is so important. Everyone in our country agrees. Everyone in our country agrees that our country is broken. Both political parties believe that. The only difference is we disagree on what the problem is, right? And what the solution is. And so our culture, our culture, especially the Marxist ideology that's sweeping across our country, now listen carefully, says the problem is outside of us and the solution is inside of us. What we hear today is if we destroy the structures, it will lead to human flourishing. If we get rid of God, if we get rid of the family, especially dads, if we get rid of the church, if we get rid of the police, that will lead to human flourishing. The gospel could not be more different. The gospel says the problem is inside of us. And the solution is outside of us. Which do you believe? Let me show you the gospel. Here's the bad news of the gospel in, in Isaiah 64. Look at the first line. For what? All of us. Do you hear either party saying the problem is what? All of us. Do you hear that? It's true, isn't it? Listen, for what? All of us have become like one who is unclean. Know what's wrong with our nation? We're all a part of it. We're all a mess. Isn't that what the gospel says? The problem's inside all of us. <laughs> for all of us 
have become like one who is unclean. unclean. Now look at the next one, like all of these alls, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. <laughs> the best things that we do are still flawed. And you say, well, what does that mean? Well, that means at my best moments, like preaching on Sunday morning. As I'm telling you about Jesus, I'm saying, oh, I hope they'll laugh at my jokes. I hope they'll think that I'm a really good communicator, right? Even at our best moments, what, we're still flawed, right? You're a parent. You're a parent, and you love your children, don't you? And you want them to grow up. And... But isn't part of it, isn't part of it so that other people will know what a wonderful parent you are, that you did such a great job? And isn't that part of it, isn't it? Listen, all our righteous, the best that we do is a filthy garment. Well, what about the worst then? And all of us wither like a leaf. And our iniquity, iniquities like the wind take us away. Wouldn't it be refreshing to hear one of our political leaders say, the problem isn't all of us. We're all a part of this mess. It's true, isn't it? Listen, we're all a part of the problem, especially me. See, the Bible says we've all sinned against God over and over again. The problem's inside all of us. And that means the solution, what is, is outside of us. The solution is in a Savior, not in trying harder. It's in a Savior who can change human hearts. You see, Jesus is our Savior. God the Son put on flesh and came to earth and lived a perfect life for us. And then he went to the cross. You know what our country needs is people to look at the greatest expression of love ever. A naked man dying on the cross for our sins. All of us put him there. And, and what does the Bible say in Romans 5? Listen, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us so that he could remedy our human nature. He died to break the power of sin on our lives. He paid the penalty for our sins in full and he rose on the third day. And he offers us eternal life. He offers us a remedy for human nature. Oh, I love this verse. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, look at this verse. How will our nation be changed? You really think it's going to happen on Tuesday? Do you? You know how our nation can be changed? Look at what this verse says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, what? He's a new creature. The old things have passed away, behold, new things have come. You know what happens when someone puts their faith in Christ? They're forgiven of all of their sins. The moment someone believes, Jesus gives them the Holy Spirit. And you know why he gives them the Holy Spirit? So we can be transformed from the inside out so that we can become what we never were. New people. The old things passed away, behold, new things have come. Are you in Christ? If you're not, don't you want to be? I mean, how does a person get in Christ and become a new person? We believe in Christ rather than in us. Instead of trying to fix ourselves and save ourselves, we admit to Jesus that, man, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry, won't you? And say, Jesus, I'm tired of believing in me and I want to believe in you that only you can save me. You died and rose for me. And then we commit to him as Savior and Lord. Jesus, forgive me and, and give me eternal life and Help me be the person you want me to be, won't you? Oh, the moment we do that, we become new people. 
And once we believe the gospel, then it's important that we begin to preach the gospel to ourselves, to ourselves, and then to one another, and then to our community every day. What do I mean? That we're reminding ourselves and others continually the problems inside of us and the solutions outside of us. We're continually reminding one another that when we put our faith in Christ, we become new people. That means we have a new identity. Are you a Christian? If someone asks you, who are you? What would you say? Would you say I'm red or blue? Would you? <laughs> you know what I would say? I'm a Christian. I'm a disciple. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a pastor. I'm an American. Listen, I'd be an American. It'd be there about 6th or 7th or 8th. But I'd be a Christian at the top, wouldn't you? That's our new identity. I'm a Christian. Not only do we have a new identity, we have a new community. When we put our faith in Christ, we're a part of a new community. Look at verse 9, but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood. The moment we believe we become a part of a new people, not identified by skin color or ethnicity, but by our common faith in Christ, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. Our new community, where do we belong? In the church. Not in America. Look at, look at verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as, what? Aliens and strangers. Sometimes people say, well, Smiley, I, I don't feel at home in America anymore. And know what I say? Good. No Christian should ever feel at home in any culture on earth because the Bible says that we are strangers and aliens on earth. The gospel is always at odds with every culture throughout history. Listen, I belong in here. Know why? Because here we acknowledge God as creator. In, in America, we don't teach creation to our kids in school. I don't belong there. I belong here. Listen, I belong in the church because here we believe that people are made in the image of God and all human life has value. I live in a culture that doesn't believe that. I'm a stranger and an alien in my culture. I believe that marriage is the permanent union of a man and woman. I belong in here. I live in a culture that doesn't believe that's what marriage is. Listen, the gospel says we have a new identity. We're Christians, a new community. We belong in the church, not in America. But listen, we have a new purpose. We're in America for a purpose. It's not to feel at home. It's not to fit in. It's to stick out because we bring a message America needs to hear. And what is that? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Do you spend more time telling people how amazing Jesus is? Or do you spend more time trying to get people to vote like you? Which is more precious to you? We are here to proclaim the excellencies of Christ. So listen, this week, to love our neighbors in a red and blue world, let's go tell how wonderful Jesus is to others. Why not this week share with, who are you going to share with what we learned today? Maybe the subject of government comes up. Why not ask the person, hey, who do you think established civil government? How many of you do you think will say God? 
then why don't you invite them? Invite them. Hey, why don't you read 1 Peter 2 with me? Read Romans 13. It might surprise you. Who established civil government? What's the purpose of civil government? Uh, what power has God given to the? Go and share what you've learned. Don't keep it to yourself. Who are you going to share the gospel with this week? You think sometime this week someone's going to say America is so messed up. Please, just ask them. What do you think the problem is? And listen to them to see if it's inside or outside. And then just ask them, well, what do you think the solution is? And after you listen to them, if they ask you back, then you share with them what you've learned, right? Well, we learned in church about the gospel that the problem is inside of us and the solution is outside of us, okay? So preach the gospel this week, okay? Preach it in word. Preach it in deed. Um, look at verse 12. Keep your behavior, what? Excellent. Among the Gentiles, Listen, you're on a mission all the time so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Um, Christians at that time were accused of all kinds of terrible and untrue things. And Peter is saying the way you silence your critics is through excellent behavior. We live in a time where Christians are increasingly becoming a minority. And people are going to say all kinds of terrible things about us. And Peter says the way we silence that is through our behavior, excellent behavior. And one way we can be excellent in our behavior is by being informed voters. Being informed voters. And, and I want to share with you what will influence me when I vote on Tuesday. The gospel will be the primary influencer in my vote. And you say, what? When I step into the voting booth and I vote for someone, I know that my choices are always between two flawed people. Do you realize that? Hey, have you been with us this year in Genesis? What have we learned in Genesis? That there is only one good person, right? And you know what? His name is not President Trump or Joe Biden. Did you know that? The only good person is... Jesus. So every time I've ever voted, and it will be on Tuesday too, my choices have always been through two, four, between two what? Flawed people. That's how the gospel influences my decision. And here's how it influences it even more. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, first of all then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. You know what matters most to me and who I vote for? Who will give the church the greatest freedom to be the church? Who will give the church the greatest freedom to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout our country? And um, I want you to know, when I listen to, to, to one person, uh, he seems to think that sexual freedom is more important than gospel freedom. 
And, and I want to vote for the person who gives me the freedom to share the gospel because I believe people's greatest need is to hear the name of Jesus Christ. That's how the gospel will inform my vote. One of the ways we can show excellent behavior is to be informed voters and to let the gospel shape the way we vote like everything that we do. He continues in 1 Peter, Submit yourself to the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. If someone said, Smiley, what characterizes sin? You know what I would say? Rebellion. How do you see someone who doesn't know Jesus? They rebel against God. They rebel against their parent. They rebel against their teacher, their coach, their governor. How do you spot someone who knows Jesus? Having bowed to King Jesus, they bow to those other authorities in their life, whether it's parent, pastor, coach, or governor. Listen, one of the ways we can live lives that show people Jesus is by submitting to authority. Well, finally, should we always obey the civil authority? Well, it should be our default. And we should always obey the civil authorities, except when the civil authorities call us to disobey God. Listen, so we read about Daniel, and, and, and the king says, don't pray. Well, Daniel did what? He kept on praying. He practiced civil disobedience. And we have Peter and John, and, and the disciple, or the, the governor said, listen, don't speak anymore in the name of Jesus. And he said, what? We must obey God rather than men. We are to be the best citizens, submitting to our authorities, except when those authorities call us to disobey God. Act as free men. And do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves to God. Honor, what? All people, red and blue, right? Oh, when people wake up on Wednesday, some people are going to be so mad, right? You know what makes Christians different from all the other people in our culture? Is that we love what? And honor what? All people, right? Especially those we disagree with. Love the brotherhood. Remember what Jesus said? He said, my, all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. It's so important we love one another in the church. Now, you're going to find out that some people you love vote differently than you. That is our opportunity to show people that we love one another because Christ loved us and not because we always vote alike, okay? Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Um, Increasingly in our culture, we're going to fear our culture and experience the pressure they put on us to conform, or we're going to fear God. How about you? Let me encourage you. Fear God. Fear God, not our culture. Honor the king. Oh, this week, it's going to be quite a week, isn't it? And I want you to remember, I want you to remember what I taught you, okay? That, listen, God established both the civil government and the, the church, and he gave them both a purpose and a power. I want you to remember that. And then I want you to remember our calling. We're called to preach the gospel, to be a gospel-confident people, preaching the gospel to ourselves, preaching the gospel to one another and to lost people. The problem is within us. The solution is outside of us. Everyone needs Jesus, especially me. Let's pray.
Jesus, we are so glad that you came to save us because we couldn't save ourselves. Thank you for living and dying and offering that, that we could become new people. Listen, if, if you've never put your faith in Christ, won't you? Won't you say, Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. And I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And I want you to come in and forgive me and, and give me eternal life. I want you to be Lord of my life. Help me be the person you want me to be. If you've done that for the first time, won't you? Won't you mark it on your card and let us know? We'd love to celebrate with you. Lord, this is going to be quite a week in our country, and so we're here starting this day with you because we need you. We need you to love our neighbors this week. Help us. Lord, this week, help us to preach the gospel to ourselves and to one another, to remember we're new people. We're Christians. We belong in the church, not in our country. Help us to remember our purpose. We're here to proclaim your excellencies. Lord, may we go out this week and may we proclaim the gospel in word and deed. May people see in us how you're transforming us so that they would want the same. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.